Amen. The worship that we have isn't there to fill time. It isn't, can we get you on the page so that we can come around the important bit? When we walk through the door, church started. When we're talking, when we're building, when we're sharing, when we're singing, we're making prophetic declarations. We're aligning ourselves to him, what he's doing and what he wants to say. As we find our place, he will find his place. He hasn't moved. He's waiting like the word this morning. I'm flying around. I've been looping, looking to see where I can rest my feet. Who can I rest on this morning? Corporately as a house, we accept that. But individually, that's talking to me also. Amen. So I want to deal with something this morning that maybe you think I've gone slightly nuts, but it's all right, bear with me, because I normally have, but I'll find, I'll find my way back once I've gone off, so is that all right? Yeah. So if I was to have a title, as somebody said, every time you should have a title, <laughs> if I was to have a title, it, it would be this morning, Ralph, so you can just write this one down. Now you see me, now you don't. Now you see me, now you don't. There is a battleground which is taking place in the generations around us that is probably at the height of what I have ever known it to be. Maybe it's always been there at the level that it has and I just haven't realized it. So maybe you're much smarter than me. But I think that it's something more and more, maybe we're coming to terms with it, maybe people are allowed to come out the shadows with it a little bit more. But I believe the battleground for the area of the mind is now seems to be more severe, prevalent, and in your face than it ever was before. When it comes to mental illness, and mental illness can be depression, it can be areas of stress, it can be anxiety, it can be work pressure, relationship pressure, it can be financial pressure, health pressure. So many different things where I even read a story a few weeks ago, I think it was on the BBC website, of a girl who took sick leave and put sick leave down as being reason why, you're, why you were off work for two days. I mentally wasn't in the right place and I needed a couple of days to reset myself. And the response that she got from her boss was amazing and it went viral because it was... Thank goodness that somebody was able to come out of the shadows and not be ashamed and said, I needed a couple of days because I've gone a bit nuts. That's the technical term, as you can see, as a doctor as I am, a medical person. They've gone a bit off the rails, which we are all able to do. Do you know that? Do you know that every single one of us has the capacity to let the madman out the attic? Negligence. We can do it through ignorance, but the biggest way we let that madman out is that when we lose perspective. So when we lose perspective, something gets out, and it's almost like opening the Pandora's box. When you've done it, you have no ability, you feel you have no strength in yourself, no capability, skills to close the lid. Would that be fair? Would that be fair? 
Has anybody ever let the madman out of their attic? And how hard was it to try and put it back in again? It's very hard. You see, the thing is that goes on, especially in the area of the mind, is that I am responsible for what I can change. But I am not responsible for what I can't change. As is, give you an illustration. I am responsible for the way I think and feel and act towards Pastor Carol. But I am not responsible for the way she thinks and feels and acts towards me. I can change my response to her, but I can't change the way she feels about me. And that is why rabbit trail, note to self, an instant rabbit trail, the most selfish emotion that we ever have in our lives is love. Because I can love you with all of my heart, but you don't feel the same way. Unrequented love. I can be, I would die for you, I'll lay my life for you. Here's the flowers, here's the chocolates, and it's, I'm sorry about that, I fancy your brother. It doesn't mean it's reciprocated. I can't change the way that you feel. I can't change the way that you think and act towards me. And sometimes we get so caught up trying to change everything else that we can't change that it stresses us out, we lose perspective, the world's against me, everything's upside down. Would that be fair? Would that be a fair? When we say about this generation which is rising, this generation that seems to have so much mental pressure and emotional pressure, I don't think I have ever seen it like I see it now. When I was growing up, back in the day, when I was growing up, when Noah was still at school and Adam was only a lad, back in them days, I don't remember anybody through my school life and my life of being an older teen having mental issues, breaking down. I can't remember them. And if you do, there was, there was one, it was Mad Billy who lived at number seven. There was always maybe, you had the local, local nutcase who was a nutcase because they were a psychopath anyway. But you see it now where kids dropping out of university, people going through their exams, being stressed out, losing things. So many times, I'll be very candid with you. Shall I be candid with you this morning? In honesty, can't I be candid with you? I had a situation with just, just recently, we just uh, appeared. We've got our nephew. Our nephew's kind of, he's great. He's got all his, all his life together, wonderful. He's a professional tennis coach, gets the job of his dreams. I'm going to Australia because I'm living in Sydney. And when I'm in Sydney, I'm going to be a professional tennis coach. And it's all going on. And the world is my oyster. So he packs up with his fiance, And we're going to Australia. And see your mom. It's two years. We're going. I'll see you in two years. All the stuff gets there. Within the space of two weeks, the pressures start to build. I'm in a new environment in a new job, without the benefit of the covering that I had from mum and dad and friends and family. I'm all in a new place, and now I'm the one paying the bills, and there's not my mum there to uh, pick up my phone bill when I've not paid it. You know, all that kind of stuff that goes on. Within the space of two months of being into two years, breakdown, anxiety, panic attacks, at the hospital, on the machines, what's going on, has to pack up and come home. He's coming home, he's on the plane, gets off the plane because everything's all right now, my world will be up fine. 
gets off the plane, walking down the steps, massive panic attack, ends up in hospital with everything that's going on. So now it's the, all the stuff that's going on, we have to deal in the area of, he's in hospital, he's out of hospital, we're doing the blood test, we're doing the heart test, we're doing the monitor. If there's a test, he's not passed any of them so far, he's flunk school, he's doing everything because all of a sudden an anxiety started to take hold of him that in literally you're looking at a couple of months became a wildfire. And the instant response to that is, you're going, he's a kid of 23, looking at it, right. What you need is diazepam at this top stage because what we'll do is if we just make you like a vegetable and you don't feel, then there will be no anxiety. Is that a way to live? A generation that's rising, you will find so many of them. Again, just as a kind of pull facts off top shelf, there were 32 teachers who qualified to be secondary school teachers, 32, in maths and science in one group. Within inside 18 months, there was only two left. The pressures and anxieties caused them to leave that industry and move away altogether because of the stress that it carries. In the kind of negative connotation that we're just on at the minute, don't worry, it gets better. In the negative connotation, if you're a man between the age of 20 and 49, you are more likely to die through depressive suicide than you are from car accidents, drug overdose, alcohol, cancer, heart disease, in Manchester than anything else. The pressures that are calling us to lose our minds are all around us. Do you know that? And in church, we have to have an answer. We have to have an answer. Because you know what happens? I found this. Because this is my kind of bugbear. Can I just get on my rocking horse here for a minute? I haven't got a hobby horse. So I'm getting a rocking horse a second. For so many things out there, they will give me a coping mechanism. I don't want a coping mechanism. I want to fix it and take it away mechanism. Yeah. Not that if something comes along, take these two tablets, pat yourself on the back, pat yourself on the belly. Remember when you did that as a kid? And it'll cause all your equilibrium to come back into order. I want something. Why is it here? And how does it go away? Not take this and you'll feel better in the morning and then carry on doing life the way you want to do it. And then when it comes back, take these two tablets, pat yourself on the belly and rub your head and it'll all be different. I don't want coping mechanisms. I want to be different. I don't want to call, or should I say, I don't want to fall down Alice's wonder hole this morning into the land of craziness. I'm just putting a point that says there is something happening in a generation that maybe we haven't looked at, that us as a church need to know how we can deal with it for our own folks, for our own lives, and also for those that we deal with. Is that okay? You know you're made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Take that outside of the church and it starts body, soul, and spirit because they put spirit as being the last, least valuable part of you when God says you are spirit, soul, and body. So my spirit is what communicates with him and has life that causes me to draw on that life of God. My soul is my mind, will, and my emotions. 
and my body is the shell that everything lives in. Is that right? Now, here's a basic fact for us. When we lose our alignment in the area of our emotions, our emotions will dictate to our bodies and it will also dictate in the area of my spirit. We don't think it does, but when my emotions and I can't keep them in check, start to work something on the inside that work against me. Here's a check of showing how quickly you can get back on track. If something comes into your life that causes you to be anxious, causes you to lose your peace in that moment, and you find yourself in the area of your emotions, how quickly can you get back on track? How many friends do you need? How many kind of uh, nights out with the girls and a, and a bottle of, uh, what is it, a bottle of wine? Uh, Prosecco, Lambrusco, whatever it is. Mel shouting up there, blue nun, whatever it is. You're pulling all these things through. But we have to know how we can align ourselves back again. Again, we said before, I'm responsible for what I can change, but what not for what I can change. And please, I'm not standing here as an expert this morning saying, let me get involved in the world of psychology, and let me get involved in that. Look, I'm just telling you, outside and inside, people are nuts. <laughs> people are nuts, and when you're nuts, how do you get back on track? Is that all right? So the challenges that we face so often will be that once we start to have our emotions and our, call our minds to fall out, we're hitting our emotional state, we're caught in our mental state, and we start to feel heavy, we start to feel sad, we start to feel tired, start to feel distant, start to feel isolated, and so many of us start to withdraw. We withdraw from the very life that can cause us to come back on track. And that life isn't necessarily finding him as the first port of call. The life is I cut off my friends, I cut off the people I trust, I cut off people that I normally talk to. I just go insular. And when I'm insular, the madman's out. Because I lie there about, I bet every single one of us has done this. You've lay in bed or you sat in the chair and the world's moving around you and you start to play your video. And you play your video that goes like that. When I see Veronica... I'm going to tell her exactly what I think. And you play, want to see it? I'm going to tell her. I'm going to go, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know what she'll do. She'll say, yeah, but da, da, da. <laughs> but then I pull out my ace card from up my sleeve and go, yeah, because you're a cow. <laughs> and we do all this kind of stuff. Tell me you don't play them videos. You rehearse mentally and emotionally things to either protect or to attack at times, and we're attacking so that I can protect. Is that fair? Yes? So we move in this kind of world. My dad used to have a saying, dad's saying, it's not biblical, but it's good enough, should have been in Proverbs somewhere. You say, yeah, but what if? Because you know when you're a teenager and you get into the what, what if? Yeah, but what if? And his response always used to be, yes, but if your, brother was, if your brother was a girl, he'd be your sister. <laughs> yeah, but what if? Yeah, but if your brother was a girl, he'd be your sister. There's things you can't change. You can always get into the land of what if. You can use that one. Feel free. Feel free. It has no trademark on it. You can use that. But, you know, this is something that as I started to look into this area of the mind, 
and this minefield which is out there. Do you get it when somebody is maybe not emotionally stable and you walk into an environment and you feel like, where's the landmine? Because wherever I seem to put my next foot, something's going off. I might be stable. <laughs> Somebody says I've maybe lived in that environment. <laughs> no names for the tape. There are no names being used here. But there is, I'm walking on eggshells because of the way that somebody else can respond and react. The other way is this, that just say, for instance, I'm sorry, she is my ultimate illustration. Here's Veronica. And I kind of go, Veronica lives life on the edge. Is it sane Veronica or is it insane Veronica that I'm dealing with today? <laughs> so I then feel that I can't talk to her or say some of the things that I need to say that might even help her and see her life change because I don't know how she will respond or react. Is that fair? You've had hormonal teenagers, haven't you? Most, has anybody ever seen a hormonal teenager? Yeah. Male and female. You know, just please. There is no, we're not drawing a line of division here. You have a hormonal teenager. For all of you who've never had a teenager but got small children, they're coming. They're coming. Your day will come. Your day will come. And then you will stand on this side of the fence, shake our hands and say, you'll embrace us and love us and say, how did you ever get through it? We got through it. Don't worry, you'll still survive. But when you're in that moment that as soon as you say something... You light the blue touch paper and stand well back because something's going to explode in your face any minute now. And it's always your fault. It's always things that are going to change. But you know, and we've used this before, so bear with me. We use the term, don't we? We grew up in schools. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. What a load of twallop. Because the words that are spoken to you and by you are life and death. Jesus said the words I speak to you are spirit and life. The words that we speak can bring life and death into individuals. Had a scary conversation this week, doesn't matter who with, where or when. So I had a scary conversation and the conversation went like this. You said something to me 10 years ago. 10 years ago, and there was this, this, and this, and you kind of go, one, I don't even remember having a conversation. <laughs> Never mind did I even say that. But you see then that this line is taken, and a straw man is all built around this of the way you accept, you don't accept, you validate, you don't validate, you approve, you disprove. All of those things, somebody's perspective that I can't change Somebody holds that for so long and it eats away on the inside and they play that video and they say those words and they sit along and they think, this is what Ralph thinks about me. And Do you know the worst thing you can ever do? I'm quite good because I'm all right. Ask Andy. Because I can be quiet. I can, de I can detract and I can detach. That's one of my maybe benefits I have. It's, it's a wonderful self-preservation mechanism at times. I don't actually care what you think about me. I do, because everybody likes to be liked. So can I put a caveat under there? Everybody likes to be liked. But I don't spend my life going, how can I get Lisa to love me more? How can I get Dave to like me more? How can I be David's best friend? I do relationships at level, which is fine. 
but I don't have to run around and try and impress you so that you'll like me. Is that all right? Is there anybody else who feels like me, or am I the one who's let the madman out of the attic? And so because of that, I kind of think, think, ask the people who know me best, that I might be quite emotionally stable. Because I'm not trying to win a point, and I'm not trying to curry favor, I'm not doing anything else. I'm just being me. Now, if I can be me, that's good, and you can be you, that's good. And you can live with my faults, and I can live with yours. But you know, as I was putting this thing together, the Lord started to show me a picture. And the picture they started to show me was some months ago, I think it was, when I say months ago, it might almost be a year ago now, I was in McDonald's in, uh, in Ashton, just with Kev, who was getting some coffees. I have to then put a caveat saying I wasn't having McDonald's, but I was having coffees. So we're getting some drinks, and there was a girl there in the queue. And you kind of go, you know, she's very pretty, she was petite, she had all the stuff, she had it all going on. You know, for you guys, you say she wriggled in all the right places. She was there, she was great. And then as you move closer, because our queue was moving quicker than her queue, you looked and all down her arms and all down her legs was the scars of where she'd cut and cut and cut. And it was on inside, outside, arms, legs. And all of these, you think, the wounds that this person was carrying and they've self-harmed so long. And the Lord brought me back to that picture But then he said this, for so many of us, we soul harm. We don't self-harm, we soul harm. We carry hurts and pain in the area of our emotions and our soul. And each one is like a scar that is waiting to be healed. But the thing that he started to show me was, for each of these scars, it was like an image file. Has anybody ever used a computer? I can't say these days that everybody's used a computer, but has there anybody ever used a computer and been on the internet? Has anybody ever been on the internet and you may be on a website and you get a pop-up? So if I say you have a pop-up window and how frustrating they can be, I'm looking at something and there's an advert. It's always an advert for Billy's roulette wheel. Get five free spins free. Has anybody ever been on the internet, or is that it? Are we still lugards, and we're still trying to do something? Right. So we know what a pop-up is. And the Holy Ghost started to say to me that these areas of our soul where we've been hurt and wounded are image files that at certain times, when you don't expect it, pop up. And you remember a hurt, you remember a word, you remember an environment, you remember a change, you remember how you were used, how you were abused, how you were hurt. And these are things that were popping up. But then I saw the Holy Ghost start to take that wounded soul and the term I got was a French polisher. And where there were scratches, where there were dents, where there were scars, the Holy Ghost was working on the area of our souls and starting to fill in the cracks, work with the scratches, and he started to polish. And as he started to polish, those image files were removed and my soul was made whole. I looked at a beautiful piece of furniture that had been restored, my soul, rather than something, you know, like that old kitchen table you've got that after a while you don't give a a stuff about, and it's the one that you kind of pull out at Christmas, you stick a a kind of tablecloth on it because nobody can see, but you've painted on it and you've sawn on it so there's chips out of it, and you don't have a table like that. Come to my house, I've got a shed full. There's bits where you've hacked out 
and it was beautifully restored, was all put back in again. And that's what I saw the Holy Ghost wanting to do with us. The word in you and I needs to be made flesh. And as that word is being made flesh, he will deal with every area, our body, our souls, and our spirits. Is that all right? There are four, I'm trying not to get too wacky and strange, but there are different areas, we call it five, five areas of your life, we will go there, five areas of our life, my spiritual health, my physical health, my emotional health, my mental health, and my chemical health. The chemical health will tell me how, if I have enough magnesium, if I have enough zinc, if I have enough whatever, vitamin D, whatever it is inside of me which allows my body to function accurately, that allows me to sleep, it sets my sleep pattern, it tells me whether I'm going to be happier, whether I'm going to be sad, all of these different bits, as I said, I'm not a doctor, so don't think I'm trying to uh, put you into a place where we're not, you get all these things that work inside of us, and when we start to ignore these areas in our lives, things start to pop up. But we have the Holy Ghost who wants to lead us and bring us into all truth. Yeah? So let's start to change tact because maybe you think I've been slightly negative. I'll tell that as a yes. Slightly negative of talking about the way that the area of our mind can take us off track very easy and our emotional, chemical, physical and mental state are often ignored because we have a very low baseline. How are you doing today? I'm well, I'm not well. I'm good, I'm not good. We have a very short baseline, don't we? If we're doing a litmus test, it's a yes or a no kind of answer. So when we think, yes, I don't have a cold, and I'm not kind of chronic in a certain ailment, I'm doing all right. Whereas these things of my mental health, emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, chemical health, need to be balanced in you and I. Now... You're thinking, Phil, why have you even said all that? I'll tell you why now, because now we can start. Is that all right? We've done the backdrop. Romans 12, 2 starts to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will able to test and approve God's will, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why did over 2,000 years ago a man turn around and say that one of the things we need to do is protect the area of our minds? Why did they know 2,000 years ago for a generation that's rising what was going to happen, the pressures, the stresses, and things that were going to change? Now, we're called to renew our mind, not remove your mind. The fact is, for many charismatics, as we often want to paint ourselves in a certain bracket, we remove our mind so we are so much heavenly-minded, we are no earthly good. But there has to be a position that says, right, my mind can change. I can be led into all truth so that I'm actually useful, starting to me. I'm useful to me and my own well-being for those around me and in the bigger picture. Is that all right? So do not be transformed to the pattern of this world. Do you know what the actual scenario is for that? Shall I tell you? You'll like this. Anybody ever had jelly? Anybody been to a kid's party, you've had your jelly? Pendo's had jelly, she's had a lot of jelly, she's smirking at me. So you go, now, again, because you lot, you're up, many of you are an awful lot younger than me, and I'm only 27. 
You're a lot younger than me, but you kind of, when you get jelly, you get jelly in one of those Robinson's pots from out the frozen freezer bit in your supermarket, and it comes out in a little tub. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah you make it. Right, make it. But when we were growing up, your mum, on special occasions, better jelly and ice cream for your birthday. None of these kind of fancy birthday parties are spending hundreds of pounds and we're all off to wacky warehouse and whatever and you've had a goodie bag. You had a bit of jelly and ice cream. And if you were really good, there'd be one of those kind of wafers in it that looked like a stick of wafer in it. And if mum was really not strapped for cash but pushing a boat out, a bit of raspberry sauce on the top. But hey, that's for another day. But when Kath was saying there, you would make the jelly, the jelly was taken and put into a jelly mold and it was molded to fit a specific shape so you'd have something that was liquid because you take your jelly you break it down you pour in your hot water tell me if I'm doing all right girls I've never made one but I think it's in that general direction so you get it and in my day it was quite it wasn't novel to have somebody you go to a party not that you have many parties you'd have two kids there'd be a star or it'd be a half moon or if somebody was really, I once went to a party, somebody had a rabbit, a rabbit shaped, right? seen somebody over there seeing a rabbit shaped jelly mold. The jelly will take the form and the shape of the mold that it's poured into. It cannot help but take that shape. The scripture saying here in Romans, do not be transformed by the renew your mind, but do not be conformed to the pattern, the jelly mold of this world. Your life and my life was poured into a mold that says, this is what you're going to be. This is the shape that you're going to take. And God says, sorry, but I might think I might just kind of shake that up a little bit. I'll shake that up a little bit. Because you may have, we said before, be used, be abused, had a really bad childhood, been in care, been fostered, been let down, bit hurt, been, had mum run out on you, had dad run out on you, have a brother or sister lost, lose a child, whatever, all of these things, which are all painful inside of us, but caused us to be formed into a certain shape. And he says, I'm willing to break open that and cause you to take a new shape. The shape which you started is not necessarily the one in which you'll finish. You know, I've read a fantastic scripture this week. I love this and thought, why have I never seen it before? There's an awful lot I've not been seeing before, but I'm seeing today. In Job 8, Job 8 verse 7, it says this, Though your beginning was insignificant, your end will increase greatly. So what? You may have had a beginning which was insignificant. Do you know when I wrote that scripture down, I was kind of transported in my mind. Does anybody get transported in their mind like me? I kind of walk into environments. I'll see something and then I'll see myself in that environment. Have you ever been where you've read a scripture and then you're in the middle of the story? All right, okay. (laughs) It's the madman out of my attic. Again, just letting you know, I'm just peeling back the paper of the crazy world of Phil. But I see it, and when I saw that term about the, your beginning may have been insignificant, I felt the Holy Ghost give me a word that kind of came back. The invisible people. Have you ever been the invisible one in your family? The invisible one. And the invisible one kind of goes like this. I don't bring you any trouble. I always do all right at school. I meet my requirements. I do this. I'm the one who tidies my bedroom. I'm the one who puts the washing in the washing basket. You've done all the stuff, 
But then there's David, he's a right rogue, he never does anything. And we all make a big issue that David came home on time for his tea. What I seem to do doesn't seem to have value. But somebody who's a scuffer can walk into an environment and all of a sudden they're the hero and you can feel devalued, belittled, let down, that there's nothing in this for me. Why am I even here? I'm the invisible one. Now, I'm sorry, Andy, I said I'd never, ever share this story, but I lied. There was... We've had some wonderful... I, I have personally, personally, I am not telling you of a man who told you a story that he once heard from a dog on the bus going to work. I've had some wonderful experiences with Andy and the crew where if you want to see somebody who can often be invisible, it can be Andy. Bless him, Andy can be invisible. And we've used it as being... Where's he gone? Oh, there he is. <laughs> we, we've often laughed about some of these things. We was once... A, Tell the story, and I've got to. We're in Dubai Airport. There's three of us in a queue. Because it was a case of, we'll get a drink. Does anybody want a drink? No, I don't want a drink. No, I'm fed up. For all of us who've been, you know it's that four hours in between flights, and you've not slept. Do I want something? Don't I want something? Tony goes, you know Tony only needs a, a cough-a-tunity. Is it cough-a-tunity? He only needs a cough-a-tunity. Ask him what that means. So it means if there's any opportunity to get a coffee, he's getting one. So he goes in the queue. I'm thinking, I'll get one. Because if we all want a coffee, we'd have just said, there's the money, get three coffees. So it ends up Tony being in the queue. Then I'm half asleep, so I'll join the queue. And then Andy goes, well, I'll have one. So he joins the queue. So Tony places his order, and they give him a coffee. He's like, wonderful. Then Phil places his order, and they give him a coffee. And then Andy stands at the counter. Excuse me. <laughs> and the guy walks up behind Andy, and they serve the guy behind him while he's standing at the counter. <laughs> only seeing this bit sticking over the top. And people kept coming behind him. And he kept serving everyone. Because you're not know, the little boy when he goes to the chippy. It was one of those. Until somebody shouted it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't see you there. And he got his coffee. But that is like how you can be, feel like the invisible person. But I'm sure there are situations where it feels like you're overlooked at work. You're overlooked in love. You're overlooked from family. You're overlooked for this should have been. Why did you get the prize and I didn't get the prize? Because I did everything and you just turned up today. It always feels like things are unfair. Anybody? Is anyone? So you get that invisible world that comes out. And this is where I felt that scripture was picking up. Though you may have felt insignificant, though you may have felt invisible, it doesn't mean you have to end that way. You don't have to end that way. So I'll let you into a wonderful secret. It's not a secret because it's in scripture, but it's wonderful. It's there if you find it. So God is prepared to take you from where you are today to where he needs you to be. God is willing and able to take you from where you are today to where he needs you to be. And do you want to know what the crazy bit of that is? That he's made room for your weakness, for your er error, for your stupidness, for your stubbornness, for your inability to produce re results. He still made room for it. 
because he's able to take you from where you are, your insignificance, and bring you to a place called maturity. To take you to a place where you are without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Now, for those who've heard it before, because I was giddy with the revelation, I was trying to hold it back and I couldn't. Bear with me. Pastor Tony touched on two weeks ago, Caesarea Philippi. Did he not? Do we remember Caesarea Philippi? Where Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he says to Peter and the disciples, who do people say that I am? Yes? So we covered that. So we start to say that some say you're this, some say you're that. And then he gives, but you are the Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Is that scripture? Right, so now we put in the backdrop and actually say what Jesus was saying. Not that Pastor Tony said anything wrong, I'm just giving you a bit of backdrop. Why Caesarea Philippi and why ask him the question? Between Malachi and Matthew, these 400 years, it's called the silent years. So in those silent years, when nothing is happening, before the Romans overtook Israel, the Greeks had already overtaken and overthrown Israel and the temple. And when they came, in this valley, Caesarea Philippi, is the place where Israel had already fallen into idolatry, and they make a temple in Israel to Pan, the god of creation. And the temple is sat there. Then the Greeks leave and the Romans move in. And when the Romans move in, because Herod was so pleased that he got to keep his job and be a puppet leader in their land that had already been overtaken, they allowed him to be king, even though he's only a puppet leader in there. He makes another temple and he makes a temple to Caesar. And why does he make a temple to Caesar? Because in Rome, Caesar was God. There could be nobody above Caesar, so there is no God above him. So in the valley of Caesarea Philippi, there are two temples sat in place, one to the God of creation, Pan, one to Caesar, and there are all shrines that are cut in the rock. And in the middle of that is a huge cave. And in that cave was a water source, and its water source was meant to be so deep that only a divine creature could get from the top to the bottom. That was the way that they saw something. So when Jesus stands there in Caesarea Philippi, he said, against the God of creation and against this God, Caesar, who says he is everything, and Caesarea Philippi, takes the Roman name, Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi, he gave it his name so that it gave honor to Rome. Jesus turns around and makes a statement. They say Pan is a God of creation. They say that he is the God above all gods, Caesar. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. So he said, you are the Christ against the God of creation and a God above all gods. It's the reference points of where he stands. But then there is a cave in between. And this cave with the water source, it was believed that it was the gateway to Hades. It was where the souls of the dead went and departed into the depth of this water. So Jesus makes a statement, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I've got the God of creation, the God above all gods, and the gateway to hell. And when I stand here and the Spirit brings you revelation, you stand above all of this. Now who do people say that I am? Hell can't stop me. He can't stop me. They can't stop me. But until I have renewed your mind and your spirit, you can't even see it to stop it. So we move in a completely different area. 
Now, here's this mad world. Now, Pando could tell us all about this because she's dead smart and we're not. But there is a difference now that works like this. Truth and fact. What is the difference between truth and what is the difference between fact? If I go into a court of law tomorrow, I'm told to put my hand on the Bible and to say these words. I promise to tell the, the whole truth. And as soon as I say that, Kath, what do I normally do? Then start lying. Right. So, yeah, so help me God. And then I start lying for the best of my ability. Yeah? There are things that I cannot ignore that are facts. You might be broke. You might be ill. You might be lonely. But what is the truth? So the truth is right. So if God wants to take me to, from my place of insignificance to my ends being different, what is the truth that he says that allows my situation to start to turn around? The difference in the battle between truth and fact. Yes? We said with Caesarea Philippi that Israel is an occupied territory. There's so much of our land and our minds that we have given over to this is facts. God no longer has power or room to move. We've kind of shackled him so much. We have this, is anything too difficult for our God? No, but. And every one of us, I might not say it because in this nice environment with our wonderful people in here, no one's going to say the but word. But inside, we think the but word. We go, yeah, it's great because God can bring back that unsafe partner from there. He can work on their life. Their kids can turn around because they're special and mine not. There is the but that puts the caveat between what God can and will do and where I think he'll meet me. I'm going to start to show you something as things unfold. Jesus stands at Caesarea Philippi for a reason. Who do people say that I am? And he then does the, he mirrors one side to the other. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But just before I do that, there are different instances through scripture where often the Lord or the Spirit will put you in environment. He already knows the answer and you have the truth versus fact. So we'll just use one just for the, oh, we'll use two. Use two just for the sake of speed. When they have the Valley of Dry Bones, in the Valley of Dry Bones, he stands the prophet in the middle and says, can these bones live? Yeah. The fact is, yes. the fact is no. The truth is, yes. Because there are bones that are dry. Every, there's nothing in it. There's no life. They're not even together. It's not even, I just died this morning and there's a chance you can pull me back through some very special medicine. This is, the bodies are absolutely separated the bones are, dis are separated on the ground because that why the bone had to come to bone sinew to sinew flesh to flesh it's separated on the ground so then he gets really kind of clever and political that's where dave stands up so dave stands up and says only you know lord because that kind just a good political answer i give an answer without giving an answer <laughs> so the fact is no because it's dead and buried but the truth is, when God moves, there is nothing too difficult for our God. So if he wants to bring life back to it, he can bring life. When we have the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, go and feed the 5,000. Would that even get you through your lunch? The answer is, fact is, will it feed everybody? My mum could make food spread, but she couldn't even make it spread that way. The fact is no, but the truth is Yes, see what I can do in this environment. So in the environment, let me just tell you these three scriptures really quickly. 
In Philippians 2, 5, it says this, let the mind be in you, which is also in Christ. So there's a mind that's in Christ that could always be in you or should be in you. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, it says this, the person without the spirit does not accept the things which come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. That was back to this area of Philippi. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The person with the spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to a human judgment. For this is the verse we want to pick up on. Who has known the mind of the Lord to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. First verse, he's saying, let us be in mind and have the mind that was on Christ. In here, it's saying, but we have the mind of Christ. Is that should have, could have, might have, if you've paid your tithe or you've been a good boy this week, might, might get. We have the mind of Christ. It's already a done deal. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That Holy Spirit then leads us into all truth. Ephesians 4, 21 20 to 24 says this. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning your former conduct of the old man which grows corrupt. And we are renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we put on the new man which is created according to God. So we have the mind of Christ and we have the spirit of our mind renewed. There are two aspects to our mind, natural thinking and spiritual thinking. There's another bit, I think I'll just make it up, and stinking thinking. Natural thinking, spiritual thinking, and stinking thinking. I don't know about you, but I can be prone at times to a bit of stinking thinking. Thank you for your underwhelming response there. Left me out to dry there. Throw me under the bus. My stinking thinking is when I think things about you, I shouldn't do. When I think things about me, I shouldn't do. Right, glad I'm still I'm on my own. Thank you. We'll deal with uh, coming into the light next week. <clears throat> but we look at the areas of saying that we can and should have the mind of Christ. When I'm a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. This mind becomes in me. That this whole ability to be transformed by the renewing of my mind will allow me to take a position in this world with all its pressures, with all its stresses, that there is a peace that comes to me that surpasses all understanding and I can find the place in him of perfect rest. What do you do when the wheels fall off? What separates us and makes us different than everybody else must be this new nature that we carry and the ability to know and have the mind of Christ that enables to do something completely different. I'll share something with you just very quickly. We had a meeting yesterday. Um, Andy and I had a meeting. And it was, it was a contract meeting. We are putting some contracts together. So we're here with a barrister. And this barrister turns around and he's a practicing Muslim. Not only a practicing Muslim, he's a, I'm a practicing Muslim 
Because there are many people say, I'm a practicing Christian. But you know what we're talking about. He goes, I am the guy in charge of putting together the new mosque in Rochdale. The budget was, was it two and a half million, Andy? No expense being spared. He is the man here. He's doing all of this. And then he makes this statement. So he's a practicing Muslim. I'm the guy in charge of building this new building project of here. This is it, signing off. I met you two 12 months ago, and the statements that you made him there have done nothing but challenge my entire mind and life. What you do here and what you do as individuals in the Dream Center have made me evaluate everything. You got hollow, practicing Muslim. I'm up here in the pecking order. Then are you ready for this statement that Andy and I, he picked my chin up and I picked his chin up, where he made this statement. And there was much more was being said, but I'll just leave you with this because it's just had me all night. The statement he made was this. Where can you bring the life and truth and light of what you have into an environment where we can show our people and if our people decide to move to your light, then so be it. It's, you know if he makes that statement down in the new place that he's being built, you know someone's going to take him out and shoot him. Yeah, yeah it'll be, a, is Harrick available? I don't know, Harrick, we've never heard of a Harrick. But, a statement like that because things are moving and God is aligning and bringing things into place. But instantly, do you know what my crazy mind did? We can't do something with you. You're a Muslim. Your mind that goes, there's us and there's them. Now, please, I didn't just say we're all having, let's have a multi-face service and you do your bit and I'll do my bit. There was a place where I was reminded, and you guys know, of Tundi Bakari in Nigeria, Christian, was the running mate to the Muslim prime minister. They said, between us, between the Muslim and the Christian, we can change our nation because we'll deal with both people groups. And that whole thing of without any compromising of faith, but you're allowing in your light to shine. And he says, if your light shines and our people say we want it, they'll come that way. But where can we start to change the environment that's around us? Instantly challenged in your thinking to go, just cut that off. Cut that off. There's a statement I'll make to you later, Dave, about politics and where he's moving, but hey, that's for another day. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, it says this, For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's where we stop. No, mind, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. But that is not our portion. He is not speaking to believers because then we get the rest of the, the verse. It says this. But God has revealed it to you by the Spirit. We have a mind that can conceive the truth. We have a mind that sees him. We have ears that hear him. We have a life that can follow where he's going because he's already set everything up in place. We have the mind of Christ. So let me skip through some of these mirror instances very quickly. Light and darkness. 
The message that we have, and we hear from him and, and announce to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of the Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. So Jesus goes, right, there's two sides, the dark and there's light. So you stand there. I can justify everything of living in the dark. Does anybody want to admit that you ever justify why you were backslid? Why you took the decisions you took? Why you said, it's all right, I don't have to be here, don't have to do that, because God understands. Has anybody ever put the caveat in your life, God understands? And it's normally followed by, yes, you're an idiot. God understands, Phil's an idiot. That's why you do these things that you do. But you see, fellowship is not about tea and biscuits. Fellowship is that when I walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. Our hearts and life start to connect. But my mind wants to keep me in the dark because it likes the things in the dark. Shall I let you into, a, again, a little secret? You've had a few secrets this morning. But I'll let you into another one. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Who said doing, th doing bad things was wrong? Who said doing bad things didn't always give me a bit of pleasure and a bit of joy? I might have to live with myself after the event. During it, you've done a lot of things. You look back in your life and gone, I wish I hadn't did that. But while I was in the morning, in the moment, I wasn't kicking and screaming. There wasn't kicking and screaming in some of the things that I've done. And I've read your reports. So I know half of it were you were doing kicking and screaming. When I'm in the light and I move towards him, I put away that, but there is a decision that is made in my mind. Do you know, the enemy always wants to keep you in the dark. Whether it's my shame, whether it's my guilt, whether it's my behavior, whether it's my thoughts, whatever it is, aren't you glad that you are not a Teletubby? You might look like Tinky Winky, Stinky Pinky, whatever they're called. I only you know Tinky Winky, Tinky Winky, a uh, Lala, oh, Lala, Lala, a Poe, they're all coming back now, it's all coming back to me. They have a television on the front of them, do they not? Aren't you glad you do not have a television on the front of you that displayed your thoughts at any particular time? You know when you're smiling at your boss or your wife or, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you're nodding in all the right places and you're going, you flipping scumbag. And it all appears on your telly. What you felt, what you feel. Oh, Irene's done it again. When I walk in the light as he is in the light, but the enemy wants to keep me in the dark because there's power in keeping it in the dark. But do you know, once you've had your moment, maybe, do you know for all of us, I do believe that for all of us, they've got that little secret. There's that secret that you don't want anybody else to know. You have that secret. But once that secret has been out and you feel secure that somebody's then not going to use it as a stick to beat you with for the rest of your life, do you know that secret can't hold you anymore? It has no power over you. And do you remember what we said a couple of years ago about if you've got a skeleton in your cupboard? What's a skeleton in the cupboard? A vertical coffin. <laughs> Go and bury it. Don't have skeletons in your cupboard. Bury it. Get rid of it once and for all. 
What about your old nature? The old has gone and passed away. The new has come. I can see myself, if I see myself as being insufficient or inadequate as we're reading that scripture, I never see that I come into a new nature. But when my mind has been transformed and been changed, I see what that new nature does for me, how it opens the door, how it brings me into promise, how it brings me into covenant, how he loves me, how he shapes me, how he forms me, how he's got the best for me. But if I see myself in the old nature, then I get stuck in church in that whole thing called religion. Give me some of that old-time religion. No, I don't want any old-time religion. I want some new-time life. Religion will keep you doing the same things on that rat run. You'll just keep going round and round and round. We come in, we go out, we come in, we go out. Things never change. I never change. Everything's always the same, but I justify that part of me that thinks, well, at least I went to church. What about the bit from being captive to being free? For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for captives and release for prisoners. Am I the one who's holding my own prison door shut? He says it's freedom and it, for captives and for prisoners. It's this release. You know, parole. You know, some of you have had parole. It's time to go. You know, one of my favorite films, I don't watch many, but one of my favorite films, there's always that bit that messes with you, but I still like it, The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody ever seen The Shawshank Redemption? Yes, Eric's seen The Shawshank Redemption, right. Do you know the thing about The Shawshank Redemption is that these people have been so caught in the system of being in prison and routine that I know what I do, I was in here, I might be treated badly, but then I'm beaten and blah, blah. And people have been institutionalized for so long. When they were set out of prison, they were committing crimes to go back to an environment that they knew. Because this new world scared them. I now have to face things. I have to be responsible. I have to earn a living. I have to feed myself, clothe myself. Somebody wasn't doing things. Even though I'm over there being put in a cage, being beaten, being treated like an animal, at least I knew what I was going to get. And when God brings us into the situation that says, for freedom you've been set free, do not be yoked any longer, we move out and we actually think, I felt safer over there than in this environment. Cognitive, cognitive, cognitive. Cognitive dissonance, that's the one. Where I'm afraid, you can correct all of these later, Pendo, that's all right. <laughs> is when I'm afraid of that which I don't know. And I move into this new world and new life with him, this new experience. And I go back to the life, even though I hated it, and it kept me bound. At least I knew what I was going to get. When I put on the mind of Christ, I'm able to take a new journey and make new choices. Is that all right? What about not my will, but his will? Now the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd, this is Hebrews 13, verse 20, through the blood of his eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing to him. So he works in us and gives us and equips us with good things to do what? His will. Did he say that was your will? to do his will. He wants to give us all things, but you know, here's the thing again. We have our element of charismania, so we build our charismania bubble, and it all comes about 
the man of power for the hour, or I'm the anointed one, or I'm going to be one that's going to change everything. And we get caught in how much anointing can you have? The anointing is for me. Pastor Tony told me about a video that was out this week. The guy on the phone, phone, I think Tumby had sent it out. Anybody? Nobody? I won't give the illustration because it doesn't make any sense. But there was a guy. <laughs> I won't give you the illustration, but there was a guy. There was a guy who was a minister who was ministering to a lady, told us to pull out her phone and said, you've got problems in your life. I'm going to get this phone to ring with the person that you've got problems in because if that phone doesn't ring, I am not a prophet of God. Let me show you how much anointing I've got and how much I... And everything was me, 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 me. And the phone rings and everybody goes crazy and then he turns around and says, who needs Elijah when you've got me? And we think that it doesn't go on, but it goes on all the time, does it not? Let me finish with these two verses, two sides of showing you what's what. We've said that for several weeks, especially in our worship, it's almost been that the Holy Ghost has been hovering, moving around, has been encircling, waiting to land, yes? You know that many of us have been in Song of Solomons and we've all been looking at our intimacy of finding our beloved, finding him under the apple tree. Anybody found him yet? Right, keep looking. <laughs> You're looking under the apple tree, but I shared this with Pastor Tony and he was saying to us, yeah, he'd started to see it and build something around it. But in Song of Solomon's 4, verse 12, it says this. Maybe this is why you've not found him in the garden yet. It says, you are, a, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. So in the very place where he's calling for intimacy, he said, yeah, but you're like a locked garden. You've walled yourself off and that very spring of life which I've given you to share with me, to flourish, that we can have convergence of waters, is sealed and enclosed. And the thought that came to mind was just that one scripture. And Jericho was tightly yeah. shut up. Yeah. It's waiting for the sound, it's waiting for the frequency that will respond to what heaven's saying. In our places, where have we done it? Where we said before about, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Where our hurts and our abuses, maybe it's our lack of hope, maybe it's we dared to dream once and it's, it all fell over. But when we come into this environment where he says, my darling, my sister, my bride, I want to meet you, I want to fellowship you, I want to show you a side of me that you've never seen before, that because of our past hurts, because of where we've been, because of our story, we've become like a locked garden where we've said we can't let you in anymore. And he says, I'm looking to unblock that. I'm looking that you can have fellowship. I'm looking that you can have life. I'm looking to see that you can change continually, completely, have this new creation reality working in your life. There is something that needs to stop in the house of God. Break off the orphan mentality. He has taken us and seated us in his family. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you still... I don't always like my family. I was talking to a member of my family this week, and I'm sure... I'm sure you may not know what I'm going to say, but I felt it. I love you, but I don't always like you. 
was the way that conversation went. We was, hey, it was all in a good place. We was having a good chat. We talk about the way that life unfolds, that at times when you're dealing with situations, I can love you, but not always like you. In the family of God, there are times when I don't always like you. And I know there's times you don't always like me. But I'm called to love you and you to love me. But let there be this breaking away of this sealed garden, this locked garden, uncapping my well and meeting him where he's at. If there's anything that's been said this morning while we've been coming around the word, if we can take that picture of the soul harming, of saying that those image files that keep popping up, God, by the Holy Ghost, wants to front French polish and make it new. If he can take my heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh, what can he do in the area of my emotions and make it so I can think differently, I feel differently, I see, I see differently, which causes me to respond differently. I can lay hold of him and he, holds, he lays hold of me. And maybe, just maybe, for those again of a certain generation, he's, I'm one of those guys you may have picked up over time, I see kind of pictures in different ways. It's the way that just the Holy Ghost works with me. So bear with me because I'm not just being, I'm not just throwing God out of the window here for a moment. But in the day when I was younger, in the 70s, yes, there was a time called the 70s. In the 70s, there was a kid's cartoon in that little half an hour you got before the news came on, before you had Sky Telly. And it was called the Herb Garden. Parsley the Lion. Yeah? Anybody? There's an awful lot of blank faces, but there's some good old days of being in there. And each of the characters, there was sage and parsley. Each one had the name of a herb. But the whole thing happened was that they came to a locked walled garden. And there had to come a time for the door to open... And for somebody from the outside to have access to that inside. My daughter, my sister, my bride, you are like a lock garden. If you allow him into your garden and allow him to work upon your soul, work on your mind, and that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, your life will change. When I see things as he sees them, Instead of what I see, there will always be that battle between truth and facts, right and wrong, light and dark, all the areas in between. Where do I stand? And the scripture comes out, whose report will you believe? Whose report will you stand? But we live in a generation of people who struggle continually in this area of the mind. Christ made provision for us that we can have a sound mind because I didn't give you a spirit of timidity, fear, love, and a sound mind. But to have a sound mind, I must put on the mind of Christ. I find that in the word. I find that in my prayer. I find that as I walk with him in relationship. Okay? Come on, guys. Let's just stand to our feet. I know we maybe had a bit of a meandering river that you thought where it's going, where it's going on. But just pick up those 
those things that we've talked about today, that he wants to work on your soul, that those scars can be removed, that he loves us, that he's for us and not against us. So come on, church, just as we close, can we just lift those holy hands just for a minute? We say, my God, Father, I thank you, Father, right now for every life that calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we have the mind of Christ. Lord God, I pray that you will cause us and show us how to develop, how to strengthen, how to deepen that mind so that we know the very thoughts and attitudes of God. We know what's on your mind. We know what's on your heart. Father, we love the things that you love. Father, we stand against the things that you don't. But Lord God, I pray right now, Father, for every life. Father, we come right now against anxiety. We come against fear. We come about those secret things that we think about in dark places. My God, I pray right now, Lord God, by the Holy Ghost, that you will cause that French polisher of the Holy Ghost to touch our emotions again, to touch our souls. Lord God, cleanse us. Make it whole. Father, make it whole. Make it whole. Make it whole. I'm just starting to see right now as, as we're just praying for the story of Naaman when Naaman had the leprosy and they said if you will just go down and you will put yourself into the water when you come out of that water and the scripture says that when he came out he had the skin like a, like a young boy like a young boy those places where you've been scarred where there's been those hurts if you will only apply the word if you will only allow yourself to be washed in the word as you dip in, you dip in your skin will be renewed that the scarring will be, be removed that that disease, that thing that you carry will be removed removed right now in Jesus name but find yourself in that word as you dip into that word as you find that life he will meet you he will meet you he will meet you for the old has gone the new has come we put on the mind of Christ we are transformed into his pattern and not into the pattern of the world and the people of God said amen amen, amen. well bless God